Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you, reclining in our comfy, cozy couches. Yeah. In our new studio. Too cozy, some might say. Perhaps. It it definitely brings a different feel, a relaxed feel. It does. A chillaxed feel, if sure. you will. Remember the, the run? I mean, it, I won't, but you Do you remember you the, the run in like between 2006 and 2009 that the word chillax had? It was a solid Maybe. run. Maybe. It was a solid run. Yeah. It was like around the time Black Eyed Peas were like big. Oh, sure. I connect chillax. Right, I mean, yeah. I'm still in that phase. <laughs> You're still bumping. Not at all. But yeah. But Fergie, imagine if I was. Fergalicious is up in the apartment all the time. Right. As it should be. As it should be. Should be on every party playlist, frankly. It is. Is it? It's Dude. not my party playlist. Well, that's the only one that matters. Right. Uh, Brendan, we're going to talk in just a bit some baseball things, but we got to talk softball. It's been sure. that's a long time. Need. Since we've gotten to talk softball in this podcast, yeah, because we haven't been in a league since the fall, and here we are, it's spring, we're in a brand new league in Baltimore, and we had a game last night that was rained out, unfortunately, but our game two weeks ago didn't go so well. It didn't. What was the final? I believe it was like 20 to 2. I think it was 10 plus runs. Something like that. There were multiple innings that we did not get out of. We were yeah. completely mercy ruled. Yes. Uh, in those innings. And it wasn't just what bothered me, Brendan, was it that it wasn't just, you know, that we were getting beat by solid teams. We were beating ourselves. We were. We were making, frankly, costly errors in the field. Well, I wasn't. Uh, Some of us were. Some of us were. Right. Okay. We're not going to name names. We're good teammates on this podcast. But, Brendan, we have to clear the air here. I mean, there was particular a play, a rundown. So there are runners on first and second. You know, there's no infield fly rule. I don't think, or at least it wasn't it wasn't used. But uh, it was a ground ball anyway. We had some issues with the infield fly rolls. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the ground there was a, a ground ball. Yeah. Somebody threw across the diamond, get the force at first, but then they threw back to third. But the problem is once you get that force at first, it's not a force for the other two runners. Right. So they had to tag those people. And the problem is those two runners can go back to the bases if they choose. Right. So the problem is trying to execute an effective rundown or pickle in softball, difficult. More, yeah. The, the pros make it look pretty easy, but there's a strategy to which guy, which people come in in which place and how you run guys back to bases, and we did not execute well. There is a strategy to it in the majors, but also if you wanted to, it, I don't think it would be that hard to execute a pickle <laughs> in softball. I, we could have done it Because you could better. just kind of have two people throwing it back and forth. Uh, I was playing center field at the time yeah. on any fly ball. I think that was hit to second that I almost caught from center because I, I dead sprinted in because I, I was like, there's no way this is getting caught. Well, it did. I thought you weren't going to throw this girl under the bus, but I here didn't. you are. I'm throwing you under the bus, actually. I was at short. I, could, right. I was trying to make a play on the ball at second, which I got pretty close to it because I did, did the same thing. The ball got hit. She kind of looked pretty lost for looking for the ball. And uh, I had to jump in there and, and try to make a play. I was ranging over. It was not where I was shifted, Brian. Yeah. Well, it was just one of the... I was watching from center fields, just watching absolute yeah. turmoil. Well, the point is... Unfold. The pickle 
is something that is drilled repeatedly. And I think we got to go back to, uh, you know, the basics here and right. practice our rundowns. Not just drilled repeatedly. That is like the best little league in between games game that you could play with your friends. It's just, it's just a good old yeah, game of pickle. A good old game of rundown. Right. So not not good. No. And I think the problem was a lot of people didn't know that it's then not a force at the other two bases once you get the force at first. Right. That you have to tag the runner. So they were like stepping on the third and it's like, no, he, he the, the guy can go back to second. Tough. Uh, what are you going to do? Tough break. It's a social softball league. Speaking of social, social media. Yeah. Heck of a transition. Brendan, the tweet heard around the world. Yeah. You dropped a very impressive tweet on everyone's timeline. I did. Mere days ago. Yeah. For those who don't know, we run at Mass and Orioles. So... If you want to at, Ma- at Mass and Orioles with your complaints, just at us. Right. It's the same. It's going to the same. The same people are reading it. It's the same eyes. Yeah. Same sets of eyes. And Brendan, uh, it was spectacular. It was. What was it? Uh, I believe <laughs> the exact tweet. I-, I don't know the exact wording of it, but it was along the lines of... Amy, our producer, should have a, a full screen graphic of it, uh, of it as well. But oh, I ahead, think Brendan. she might. Uh, the tweet was a, a series loss and no Lakers in the playoffs tough weekend to be a Yankees fan the joke of course there being that some Yankees fans not all Mm -hmm. some Yankees fans are oftentimes bandwagoners who will root for the larger franchises around sports so the joke there being that some Yankees fans are also Lakers and Cowboys fans Mm -hmm. I think my favorite reply to that tweet was somebody who commented this joke is so old and recycled and not funny and his Twitter handle was literally N-Y-Y-L-A-L-D-A-L yeah. for Yankees, Lakers, Cowboys. Shout out to friend of the pod, Dylan Atkinson, for finding that. Yeah, that uh, was a gem. Yeah, it was a gem. But he got almost as many retweets yeah, <laughs> for finding that, that tweet. That tweet blew up, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that one was interesting because when you are trying to dunk on a fan base that's as large as the Yankees fan base, mm-hmm. I was either going to get completely ratioed yeah. and it wasn't going to work. Or it was going to be a great tweet. I didn't think it would be this good. I didn't think it would do these kinds of numbers. But I think there were just enough people on Twitter.com who enjoy making fun of Yankees fans. So it worked out. For all of those teams. It's anytime those teams lose, the Yankees, the Lakers, Duke, a whole portion of Twitter just comes alive. When the Yankees lose, America wins. Yeah. It's like the scene in, in the Avengers where they all just assemble. They're coming out of portals, just coming, <laughs> just just the coming to dunk on these several teams. Yeah, well, wants. I mean, that is is a pretty good comparison. I mean, that's usually the Yankees yeah. thing is the Death Star. My so. issue, though, was, Brendan, you said, you personally quote tweeted the original tweet, and you said, I don't even have a SoundCloud to promote. Yes, you do. Yeah, well. You do. It's this SoundCloud. Eh. It's this podcast. Eh. You couldn't have done the reply that says, you I, know, I wow, have. this blew up. Here's my SoundCloud, and it's a link to the Mass and All Access podcast. Nah, because Think about the listeners that we would be getting. Eh. We would be tripling our audience right would now. We? Yeah. Think about the number eh. of retweets that we got from that. We did. People would be like, wow, I want to m- listen to more of the person or people who created that tweet. Because clearly they're clever and, and have great takes. Eh. I don't know if anybody's thinking that. All right. Well, that's a missed opportunity, but uh, guess we'll never know. Guess just gotta cash in when right. you have the, those opportunities. We're never gonna have a, a banger like that again, at least not for several years. So, 
Sorry, we we're going see. back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold the record for a bit, I think. The tough part is after you, you have a banger of a tweet like that, and then the next tweet has like... <laughs> Everything's a letdown. It has like two retweets and 15 yeah. likes, and you're like, all right. It's I think a blow it's, to the old ego. I think it's continuing to do numbers right now. I think yeah, last time I looked it's yesterday, way it around. was like over 75,000 likes, I yeah. think. Well, thanks to all those who, who engage with us on social media. Yeah. We do appreciate it in positive ways, not in the negative ways. Stop cyberbullying us. But the other stuff is good. The other yeah. stuff is good. All right, Brandon, let's talk some baseball here. Figure, figure it's been long enough into the podcast here. Yeah. Uh, the Orioles got an unfortunate blow uh, the other week, last week, and it, it kind of happened after John Means' second start. We had an idea that his injury was a little bit more serious than probably the team or he had hoped. And he ends up heading to the 60-day IL with a sprained left elbow. Strained, excuse me, left elbow. Initially, it was called a sprain. Now it's called a strained left elbow. And not good news at all. And he's currently seeking second opinions. Typically, when that happens, you're deciding between extended rest or surgery. And whatever the decision is at the end of the day he's going to be out a long time and perhaps the entire 2022 season yeah reading between the lines it kind of seems like he's going to be out for the year because Brandon Hyde said that whether he pitches in 2022 or not is kind of a question mark at this point and I don't think he'd be saying that if the initial thinking wasn't that he was going to be out for the year because you wouldn't put that out there if you didn't think that was the case Right, and he made it pretty clear before Means even went to the 60-day IL. He said Means is not going to be pitching for a long time. You're not going to see him back on the mound. So it's very unfortunate timing for John Means, who is in the middle of his arbitration years. He still is going to arbitration for this upcoming season. Remember, that whole process was pushed back. Obviously, he's in the middle of his athletic prime. You don't know exactly as he's hits 30 years old soon. You don't know exactly how many years he's going to have of that, and if he does go with surgery, that's going to be a setback as well. Uh, if it is Tommy John surgery or if it's another kind of surgery on that elbow, even if it's not, that's a large portion of time to miss in the middle of his career. And it's very unfortunate for a guy that, uh, you know, has made himself the ace of a rotation. Right. And I don't think there were too many fans in this camp, but if you were in the camp of wanting to trade John Means and getting some prospects back, obviously that is kind of out the window at this point. Yeah, but personally, I think it's it's a huge blow for him as well because right. it's, you know, only getting two starts and looking pretty good in those first two starts as well and looking to anchor that rotation. Could be, he was my pick as a preseason most valuable Oriole. I think he really had the chance to be start to finish the best starter on this staff, uh, and he's robbed of that opportunity. And I think it would have been a cool season for John Means as well because he's been in this rotation for however many years now when the Orioles have not been winning a lot of baseball games. And then, you know, for this season, the wins are probably still not going to come. But you're probably going to have a lot of those top pitching prospects joining the rotation at some point. And it would have been a cool season to have John Means as the ace of your rotation and being able to mentor guys like Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall. Not to say that he can't do that anymore and still be a presence in the clubhouse, but obviously, if he is not there pitching, showing these guys the work that he's putting in in majors, it's hard to be that same mentor figure if you're not actually playing. And on the Orioles side, it's a huge blow as well. Just trying to, the, the 
title of this podcast is how are the Orioles going to replace an ace? And frankly, you can't is the short answer. Nobody's going to be able to step in and replace John Means production. He was expected to be the ace of this staff. And now it falls to Jordan Lyles, who is the free agent addition for about $7 million guaranteed. And while Lyles, we like the fact that he can go deep into games, why he was signed is to eat innings for the Orioles and to be a veteran presence. He's not going to give you the production that John Means was expected to. No, Jordan Lyles is going to be your ace if you are looking at it purely as who is going to pitch the most innings in this Orioles rotation, pretty much all of my money at this point would be on Jordan Lyles. He is probably the only guarantee in this rotation, I think, to be pitching every five days throughout the entire season if he doesn't get dealt at the deadline. And like I said, he's going to eat the most innings. So he kind of steps into that ace role, but I think really he just continues to be your innings eater. And the question is, where do the Orioles go from here? Now that Lyles is their de facto ace, they still have to replace somebody in that rotation. And they came into the season pretty much already down one spot in that rotation. They went into the season with really only four guys solidified in that five-man rotation, and they expected to use that fifth spot kind of as a rotating cast of characters. It's tough because we haven't had a full spring training, so guys are still ramping back up. They've been trying this piggyback thing where they've been using guys like Keegan Aiken and Mike Bauman and Alexander Wells out of the bullpen to spell these starters so that the starters only have to go four or five innings. But now everybody's going to be a little bit stressed and impacted by this because they're, they're going to have to shoulder the, the weight of those innings that are now up for grabs. Yeah, it's essentially a three-man rotation and you are figuring out the rest as you go Right, is kind of what it sounds like. I mean, the top three have looked pretty good, especially as of recently. Jordan Lyles, like we mentioned, had a rough outing against the Rays to start the year, but threw a gem against the Yankees. Five and a third, one earned, six hits, four strikeouts. If you can get that kind of production from Jordan Lyles, especially against a really good Yankees lineup, obviously you're going to take that every day of the week. And Bruce Zimmerman has looked really good as well. He's thrown nine scoreless innings to start the year. And then Tyler Wells was improved in his last start too. So at least the top three are stepping up a little bit. Really all four with last night's game being in Oakland and Spencer Watkins getting the ball. Yeah. Not a whole lot of expectations going into that, but he ended up pitching pretty well giving up one earned run over five innings and giving the ball over to the bullpen. Unfortunately, it ended up in a loss. But if you're getting a, a turn in the rotation, especially considering the opponents, obviously Oakland is not a stout ale competitor, but the Yankees certainly are. And to have Lyles go five and one-third with one earned run, to have Wells go four shutout, Zimmerman five shutout, and one, one earned run in five innings for Spencer Watkins, I mean, that is going to be huge. I don't right. expect that from all four of those guys going forward, but the those four guys in particular, if it does end up being Watkins going forward as uh, the fourth guy in that rotation, they need to be solid because one or two blow-up starts at, could really set off a domino chain reaction where the bullpen is now having to make up for innings here. They're not available the next night. They need the other guys in that rotation to step up because John Means was relied upon so heavily as a guy who was expected not just to go deep into games, but to give you a quality start every now and again. Right, and we'll get into who we think will literally replace John Means in his spot in the rotation every five days. 
But if the starting pitchers that are already in the rotation can continue to improve in the way that they have at the beginning of the year, I think that's going to be just as important. Because like you mentioned, you need to be saving that bullpen and the starters need to keep you in games more reliably like you knew you would get from John Means. And I think Bruce Zimmerman, we've seen, obviously, it's a very short sample size, but encouraging improvements. I mean, the strikeout numbers are better. The expected ERA is way down. We know last year the ERA was decent, but he was getting kind of lucky by coming out of games after four or five innings pretty consistently, only giving up three or four runs in most of those starts. His war right now, I know we don't pay attention to pitcher war as much as position players, but his war right now is 0.3. All of last year, it was 0.4. So Bruce Zimmerman has been showing a lot of improvement early in the season so far, which again is going to be massive just in terms of bullpen help and not overstressing them when you are throwing potentially a bunch of rookies down the line. When you talk about expected ERA versus actual ERA, the Orioles aren't in a place where they can worry about, well, this guy's pitching well and the counting stats are good, but the underlying numbers aren't so great, so we should pull him out of the rotation. Anytime they get anything close to a quality start at this point, whether it's lucky or not, they're going to have to throw that guy back out there in five or six days. Uh, absolutely. Because they just are not in a position where they have enough depth to replace somebody who is pitching well, even though the underlying numbers may not support that. So Bruce Zimmerman is probably not going to go scoreless the entire season. His ERA is going to be closer to his career ERA, around five, I think, at when all is said and done. But for the time being, same with Spencer Watkins. He pitched well in his last start. Therefore, give him the ball in five or six days. Yeah, Zimmerman is going to keep you in games. That's what he did all of last year. I don't think his numbers are going to continue to be as good as they have been through his first two starts of the year. But if Zimmerman keeps you in games consistently, then that's going to help your bullpen out a lot. And you hope that Tyler Wells can give you the same thing because Wells is going to be in this rotation for the long haul. I think they're going to want to give him a fair shot in the starting rotation. And again, looked better in his second start against the Yankees. Goes four innings, doesn't allow a run. Hopefully Tyler Wells settles in a little bit. Because his advanced numbers, again, the Orioles are, do not have the luxury of being able to look at all of those advanced numbers and taking somebody out of the rotation. Tyler Wells' advanced numbers are much worse than they were last year, even if you just want to look at strikeout rate, walk rate. Those are not where you want them to be. So hopefully Tyler Wells will take a few more starts to settle into this new role and be the starter that I think he's capable of. They're not where you want them to be after two starts. I mean, it's really only he went one and two-thirds in his first start, and he looked solid with four innings in his second start. So tiny sample size for all of these guys. Uh, so we hope that over time they will right the ship, and I think Wells has the chance to be a little bit more volatile than some of the other guys in the rotation. Like you said, Zimmerman's going to keep you in games. Wells may have a blow-up start every now and again, like we saw in his first start. Yeah. But other than that, you have those guys already cemented into the rotation. You're going to give Spencer Watkins the ball in another five or six days just because you have to and just because he looked good in his last start, his most recent start. So in terms of, in terms of candidates to replace means in the rotation, fans' minds, and I saw a lot in the comments, immediately go to Kyle Bradish. And at this point, there's not a whole lot holding Kyle Bradish back. He's 25 years old. He's had a significant sample size in AAA. He's off to a good start with Norfolk this year. What is holding him back? He's on the 40-man roster. Why has he not been called up yet well, is like, the question. I think it's 
the same answer that I'm going to give when we talk about Grayson Rodriguez at all, as well, because he is also a long-term answer in the rotation. Right now, he just needs to be stretched out a little bit more. And I know that that is possible in the majors as well, but Kyle Bradish has only thrown nine innings over his first two starts in Norfolk, and it's not like you needed him to be taken out of the game after four or five innings because he's allowed one run. He has a whip of 0.67. So he is cruising through two starts. He was the International League Pitcher of the Week. I don't think he needs many more starts. It's not like Grayson Rodriguez, who this is his first taste of AAA. You don't want to completely rush him through that level. Bradish had a decent sample size at Norfolk last year, and we are getting at least two games so far. I think we'll probably get maybe two or three more starts in Norfolk before we see him in the majors again. But I think if he continues to pitch like this, there's no reason to call, not to call him up. Yeah, the difference between Grayson and Bradish, in my mind, is that Bradish pitched most of the season with Norfolk last year. 86 and two-thirds innings. But he wasn't with fantastic last year. He wasn't, but the point is he has the sample size, and it appears that he has made the adjustments that he needs to going forward. I don't know if you necessarily need to see him make eight starts with a 3-0 ERA before he gets called up. He looked very good in spring training. Like I said, he's 25, so he's much older than Grayson, and fairly... He's you know old enough. He's Alexander Wells' age. He's younger than Zach Lowther. He's younger than Dean Kramer. But he's not younger by a lot. I think he is ready to get that call. And I know that he needs to be stretched out. All of these pitchers do, though. Even the guys in the major league level have to be stretched out. They're not asking Tyler Wells to throw anything more than four or five innings. They're not asking these guys to go deep into games, whether they're pitching in Norfolk or Baltimore. So... He could get stretched out all the same, in my mind, in Baltimore. And I know the Orioles are just giving him a little bit more seasoning and making sure that he is 100% ready before he gets that call, but I can't imagine them waiting that much longer before they call up Kyle Bradish. I agree, but I think it's also important to keep in mind that, personally, I don't think John Means' injury changes the Kyle Bradish discussion. I think if you are going to call up Kyle Bradish... He is too valuable of a prospect, too valuable of a piece moving forward to call him up before you want to just because a piece in the rotation is injured. You have short-term solutions that are probably not as good as Kyle Bradish, but can get you through starts every five games. And I don't think you should call up Kyle Bradish just because John Means is hurt. I think you need to call up Kyle Bradish on the timeline that was previously planned. Don't modify that plan just because John Means is hurt. It's it's probably not going to get you that many more wins. The difference, I would say, is that Bradish, I would wait to call Bradish up until there's an open spot in the rotation. I wouldn't call him up to use him out of the bullpen. But there was going to be an opening anyway. Yeah, I mean, there was already going to be a fifth opening spot, I think you could say. Probably a fourth, too. Probably a fourth, but I know I, I, because you already had Wells, Zimmerman, Lowther, and Lyles already locked in. I don't think you push Zimmerman out of the rotation to give Kyle Bradish a spot yet. Maybe. I, I think you would have if there wasn't an injury, but at the very least, there would have been that fifth spot. There would have been that fifth spot. So that just creates another opening. But to, in my mind, the other thing is it's means this injury plus now two solid starts from Bradish. So... This is a slightly different equation than it was two weeks ago. So even if you remove the means injury and the open extra open spot in the rotation, you've already seen two good starts from him. And 
Michael Elias said back in spring training when he optioned Kyle Bradish that we want to see him up and impacting the team as soon as possible. More importantly, as long as possible. And I get that. But they expect to hope to give him about 100 innings this year. He's already pitched well in the first two starts at AAA. In my mind, there, there, is, there is not a whole lot holding him back. He's very close I to, agree. to getting that call. And, and I agree. Be. But again, I think my point is that Kyle Bradish is such a long-term piece, hopefully. I mean, he is, what, your third best pitching prospect at this point behind Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. So don't change that blueprint just because John Means is injured. There was, like we said, there was going to be an opening whether John Means was injured or not. Kyle Bradish was going to get an opportunity to be a starter every fifth day regardless of this injury. So don't change the blueprint now. I'm just wondering what exactly Michael Elias is waiting to see. Probably not much more. I think if Kyle Bradish goes out next time and pitches six or seven innings, if they let him extend a little bit, I don't think there's any other boxes to check. I agree. I think he's that close. And I think if we're still having this conversation in a month, then that would be a little bit more difficult. But at this point, I understand why they're being patient with him. I do. But I think he is awfully close. And I think it could be a matter of a week before he gets the call because there's the open spot and there's the quality production in Norfolk. And I think he's due to start soon. Maybe either tonight or... I know it's not tomorrow. Grace Rodriguez is tomorrow. Uh, he started a couple days ago, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sunday, I think he started. Uh, so Bradish will join the rotation at some point, but he's not going to be your immediate replacement for John Means. The immediate solution appears to be Chris Ellis, who's on the taxi squad right now. They would have to clear a spot for him, uh, but he could join the team very easily. It feels like... He is very much in the stopgap range. He looked good in the six starts where he saw him in the big league level last year, had an ERA around two and a half, but he's clearly not going to be, almost definitely not going to be a long-term fixture of this team going forward considering his age and considering his lack of big league experience. No, I don't think so at all. So far, he's tossed four innings in Norfolk, hasn't allowed a run, struck out five, so he's looked good at AAA, but I don't think there's any way that if Chris Ellis is the short-term solution that changes your plans for a Kyle Bradish or a Grayson Rodriguez down the line. I think probably if I had to guess right now, the Orioles short-term solution will be a tandem of Chris Ellis and Alexander Wells, who is also on that taxi squad in Oakland. I think if you get three or four innings out of each of those guys, that's your plan. Yeah. Wells had two solid innings against the Yankees on Saturday night. Then he got optioned immediately after that, but remained on the taxi squad. So it's clear that the Orioles have a plan to use him. But that immediately, there were some questions that Wells could be the guy that takes over for means that quashed that conversation. Right. Zach Lowther is another name that's a possibility. But again, I think he, a little bit more so than, well, definitely more so than a Chris Ellis, probably a little bit more so than an Alexander Wells, falls into the long-term solution I think he is teetering closer to the line of being a short-term guy than a long-term guy. He's following the Keegan-Aiken path a little bit. Right, a a little bit too closely. But I think, Zach Lowther, you would still ideally like to have as a long-term answer, and you don't want to just push him as a short-term starter. Lowther threw two and two-thirds innings on Sunday in Norfolk, uh, giving up one run, I believe. So he is in that same 
weird middle ground of being used as a reliever, being maybe used as a starter sometimes, bouncing back and forth. There are all these pitchers in this middle range. And to me, one guy that would be perfect for this kind of role is Dean Kramer. And it's a shame that he is hurt because I know the Orioles were looking at him in spring training as a candidate to get one more shot in the rotation. We know that last year he did not pitch particularly well in the rotation, but he had some time at Norfolk. He looked good, pretty good in spring training. Just, you know, by their metrics, they said that the counting stats didn't really refer, reflect how good he was looking behind the scenes. And so they were ready to give him another shot. And then the injury happened very late in camp, and that took him out of that conversation. And it's going to be difficult for him to work his way back into that conversation a month from now. Because right. then we're talking about Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez time. Right now would be perfect for Kramer. Well, if Dean Kramer is healthy, he is probably your number four starter in this rotation right now. And we're talking about Spencer Watkins as a potential short-term solution for your number five starter. Yeah. So I think Dean Kramer would be in the rotation if he was healthy. He was just on the 10-day IL. Haven't really gotten many updates on Dean Kramer in terms of when we might see him. But he's another short-term solution as well because Spencer Watkins more than likely is not going to continue to go five innings, one earned. Maybe maybe he'll surprise us and he will continue to be a solid Bruce Zimmerman-esque can get you four or five innings and keep you in games type of pitcher, which is valuable at the back end of this Orioles rotation right now. But more than likely, I think Dean Kramer's stuff will give him an edge over somebody like Watkins in the short term. I think the Orioles are just hoping to get through this road trip, this difficult West Coast swing with Oakland and then L.A., and then they go up and play Yankees, the Yankees at Yankee Stadium next week. It's a tough stretch. I think they're just trying to stumble through it until yeah. they can get to next homestand at the middle part and end of next week because that's, I think, an opportunity for you to reset your rotation, but they don't have a day off this week. And I know Oakland is not a great team, and the Angels are probably not a great team either. It's too early in the season to really tell, but it's going to be a tough stretch because you're on the West Coast. You're changing your body clocks, all that. I think the Orioles are just going to try to cross their fingers and get to the end of the week and then get to next week when they can reset their rotation and maybe call up a Kyle Bradish or maybe have a, a, somebody who is a little bit more of a longer-term solution than Chris Ellis, who is pure stopgap. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one more name that we should at least mention as a potential short-term solution that I don't think is going to get used is Keegan Aiken, yeah. who we saw as a starter for a good amount of the year last season. But Keegan Aiken has looked excellent out of the bullpen so far, and I don't think you want to take him out of that role where it seems like he's really succeeding so far. I don't think it's worth breaking that momentum that he has built up in the bullpen just to be a short-term answer in the rotation until somebody else gets called up. Yeah, Rockabaco said the Orioles are not giving off that vibe that they're going to use him as a starter. We're so. basing this purely on vibes. Oh, vibes only, yeah. apparently. Um, so that is kind of the entirety of the John Means conversation in terms of candidates who could come up and replace him. There just are not a whole lot of solid options in the short term. And the Orioles are just going to try to get through this, and then they'll use a longer-term option, I believe. One interesting roster move that the Orioles made last week was placing Kevin Smith, former top-10 prospect in their system, on waivers as they had to clear a spot on the 40-man. He cleared waivers and remained in their organization, but he's no longer on the 40-man roster. Some of the, somebody that they pretty recently added to the 40-man last November. Yeah, I did not like that move. That was... Whew. I mean, obviously... It worked, and I do not have as good of a read, clearly, around 
the major leagues as Mike Elias does, who felt confident that he could sneak Kevin Smith through and nobody would claim him. I'm very surprised that nobody claimed Kevin Smith. I guess maybe other teams, especially competitive teams, didn't think that he was worth a 40-man roster spot because that's a, a big spot to give up for somebody who's not major league ready yet. But Kevin Smith is still one of the better pitching prospects in this rotation. And I thought it was a, somehow a different Kevin Smith that I had forgot about. You know, it's Kevin Smith. It's a pretty generic There are name. other Kevin Smiths There's around baseball. many Kevin Smiths. Yeah. So I thought I, like, missed the Orioles claiming a different Kevin Smith who they then optioned because I didn't think there was any way that they would option this Kevin Smith. This feels like the Hunter Harvey move where they yeah. they removed Hunter Harvey from their 40 man and kind of tried to sneak him through and then he got all the way to the very end of the waiver claim process before he was claimed by the Giants. So that one, they lost that player for good. In this instance, they got him through. So it worked. It was slightly risky, but I also don't know how many teams are looking right now at waiver claims. I don't know if they're at that point in the season where they're desperate for a pitcher or they could even carry somebody like Kevin Smith who is not major league ready who is a triple-a pitcher for sure and and frankly was not outstanding in triple-a last year still on the younger side and not a former top 10 prospect or he is a former top 10 prospect he's not a current top 10 prospect he has fallen down some prospect rankings so I just don't know how many teams could carry him however it is still a risk there He's is always valuable. there is yeah. always a team out there who could be rebuilding or could just have an open roster spot who could take a chance on it. The Orioles clearly did their homework and were comfortable with putting him on waivers knowing that he would eventually return to them. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where nobody really paid attention to it because it happened and it worked. Slipped onto the radar. But if Kevin Smith had been claimed by another team, I think you probably would have had a lot of fans up in arms about the fact that the Orioles just randomly optioned a guy who is at still at this point a top 30 prospect. And he's looked good in Norfolk so far. Yep. Two earned runs in 10 and two-thirds innings. It's also all kinds of strange byproducts of the lockout with the Rule 5 draft being canceled. Think about the fact that the Orioles had to add all those guys, Kevin Smith included, to their 40-man roster back in November. Now they have to carry those guys on the 40-man roster where they didn't really have to protect them. Had they looked you know, had a crystal ball and known that the Rule 5 draft was going to be canceled, they may not have protected all six guys, but they had to because they thought that those guys could have been taken by other teams. And we were concerned that guys like Robert Newstrom and Adam Hall would have been picked up by other teams in the first or second round of the Rule 5 draft. That didn't happen. That's a benefit. But the Orioles have a Logan Gillespie on their roster that they don't have use for in 2022, not at the major league level at least. Kevin Smith, another guy that clearly they weren't 100% comfortable in having him on the 40-man roster, and they would have preferred to have other guys over him. So it puts the Orioles in kind of a bind where now they're stuck with guys that they know aren't going to impact the team anytime soon, the big league team. But they had to make the move back in November because they couldn't have possibly known that the Rule 5 draft would have been canceled. Right, and Kevin Smith more than likely is not going to make an impact in the majors soon, but I think he's at least a possibility down the line this year, especially if he continues to pitch this well. There are other guys ahead of him. I think Radish is ahead of him. I think D.L. Hall is ahead of him. D.L. Hall is likely ahead of him, although we haven't yet seen D.L. Hall back in game action as he's working his way back, uh, trying to build back up his arm after coming off that injury in 2021. So he could 
maybe get the call at some point, but I do think that there are some other guys that are waiting to get the call ahead of him. Yeah, D.L. Hall, we didn't really mention. I don't think he is going to be in the majors within the next few weeks. So when we're having the John Means conversation, I don't think D.L. Hall is really a John Means replacement conversation kind of guy, but he's certainly a rotation arm down the line at some point that is going to help this starting rotation this year. Definitely. Now, Brendan, like we all imagined coming into this season, the Orioles pitching has been dominant and the Orioles offense has been sluggish. Like we all imagined, the Orioles will have the fifth best team ERA in all of baseball at 2.86 and their offense is near the bottom of the league. We looked at that lineup and we said, Trey Mancini, Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, Anthony Santander. No, no, no. It's the pitching that's going to carry this team. Exactly. That's what we all said. And it's funny when we're talking about this John Means conversation, because obviously is it is an issue to try to replace John Means, but they've looked good without him so yeah. far. And it's really been the offense that's been terrible. I mean, Anthony Santander is the only player in this lineup consistently with an OPS over 700. And he really is not hitting the ball all that well. He's just drawing a lot of, law, well, a lot his of walks. His OPS is insane. He has a 472 on base percentage. Yeah, because he's, he's drawing a lot of walks. He's drawing a ton of I mean, he's been by far your best offensive player, even if he hasn't been tearing the cover off the ball hitting-wise. I think he only had one hit in that Yankees series. Yeah, but his plate discipline is awesome. I mean, a 472 on base, obviously that's not going to hold up for a while, but this was an issue with Anthony Santander for a few years now, his plate discipline just wasn't very good. Yeah, it's something that he really struggled with early in his career, and I get it. He was coming from high A ball at the very beginning of his career back in 2017. So the transition is obviously going to take a lot longer than it would for some other players as a Rule 5 draft pick, and he was a free swinger early in his career. A low-key area of improvement for him over the course of his career has been his plate discipline. We always knew he had the power, uh, but he's his... Plate discipline has improved significantly. Uh, beyond that, though, Brenton, beyond Santander, every major hitter in the Orioles lineup at this point has been struggling so far. I mean, Cedric Mullins has had a couple key hits here and there. Trey Mancini has mostly struggled at the plate so far. Um, it's not been a solid offensive team so far. No. They're second to last in runs at, with 22 so far. But here's the thing. It's a league-wide trend. I'm not overly concerned because this is what's happening around baseball. And I get it. It's April. The weather's colder. The ball doesn't fly. And pitchers are ahead of hitters. That's been the case every April, every every single baseball season. So I expect these numbers to change. But so far, teams are averaging just 4.19 runs per game, less than a homer per game. The league as a whole is hitting 233 with a 689 OPS. The league hasn't had an OPS as a whole under 700 since 1989. So all of these numbers are going to go back up. I'm not entirely sure of all the reasons. I just threw out a few that teams around baseball are struggling so much at the plate. But these numbers will tick back up. And as they go up league-wide, I expect the Orioles' offensive numbers to improve as well. Push the wall back in. I think that's the solution. That's definitely the solution. We haven't even seen the wall get tested a whole lot. No. It's not like we've seen flyouts to the warning track. Or doubles off the wall yet. They have only had that one homestand, but the wall really hasn't seen a whole lot of action just yet. Yeah, the only ball that I can remember is the Trey Mancini 
I think double. Yeah. Maybe would have been a home run. Hit off in the left field corner, hit off kind of the top of that wall. Right. That pro- It would have been a home run at that point. And Austin Hayes had a ball that might have been a home run that went out to the warning track. So we've seen it a couple times, but we have yet to see a ringing double off the wall that you can point to and say that's 100% would have been a homer right. a year ago. We have yet to see that corner be used at all. The corner between left and center where the bullpens are. Yeah, but again, the Orioles pitching, probably not a ton to do with the wall, but the Orioles pitching has been good so far. But yeah, the offense has been bad. We mentioned last week Cedric Mullins. The concern meter was not very high. The concern meter for Cedric Mullins, throwing it out there right now, is still not very high. But I think the concern meter is ticking up ever so slightly because this is now the second week in a row when we've been talking about the strikeouts for Cedric Mullins, he now has 14. He's hitting just 167 with a 231 on base percentage. It's not good. The question for me with when it comes to concern is what were your expectations coming into the season? Well, because if your expectations were he was going to drop another 30-30 season on everyone's heads and be another AL starter in the All-Star game, I think your concern level should be high. But I think both of us expected a natural regression because a 30-30 season... There's a reason no Oriole has ever done it. It comes along so rarely. So I am not overly concerned just because I didn't have overly high expectations. However, his production has taken a dip beyond, below even my my expectations. No, I thought, again, I did not think he was going to have a 30-30 season. I thought his numbers were going to regress a little bit based purely on the fact that pitchers are game planning for Cedric Mullins a lot more than they were last year. Yeah. I did not think he was going to put up the kind of gaudy numbers that he did last season. But out of Cedric Mullins, given what we saw last year, I think you're still expecting him to hit 270, 280 with a 330 on base percentage. Yeah. Somewhere around there. And obviously a 167 with a 231 on base percentage is not close to that mark. And that's when we bring in the caveat that it is two weeks worth of games. His numbers are going to improve. But I think the concern meter is ticked up ever so slightly. And we've seen his, by the way, he looks stronger than ever. I know a lot of guys, over the course of the season, typically guys lose weight and they lose a little bit of muscle mass because it's such a long season and it's a grind. And they come in, there's a a reason people say they're in the best shape of their lives in spring training. He looks fantastic in terms of his strength. And he looks ready to hit 30 homers in terms of his pure power and strength at the plate. He drove that ball unbelievably far the other night on the 3-0 count against the Yankees in that game that got the rain delay in the middle and kind of halted the Orioles' momentum. So his strength and power is there, but it's going to be the adjustments, like you said, of how teams are pitching to him. Right. Because he's going to make solid... When he gets a hold of the ball, I don't worry about the issues that he had at the beginning of his career where he didn't have enough strength to muscle a ball over the wall or to muscle to get a ball to the warning track or to drive doubles instead of singles. But I do have concerns about how he's going to be handling a lot of off-speed pitches and a lot of pitches out of the zone. Yeah, he's got to get going, but so does the rest of the Orioles lineup at this point. I mean, Ryan Mountcastle is hitting 278, but the power's not there. He has one home run, doesn't have a double, and is getting on base at just a 316 clip, which is still decent, but it's a slower start to the season than we expected from Ryan Mountcastle based on the fact that he has one extra base hit. Trey Mancini, you mentioned... He's getting really unlucky, by the way, at the plate. His expected batting average is 326. His expected slugging percentage is 560. Hard hit balls. Hard hit balls for Trey Mancini. I mean, we saw it 
in the Brewers series. He was robbed on a few extra base hits there, I think. Was robbed by Tim LaCastro in the Yankees series. So Trey Mancini should have better than the 613 OPS that he has right now. But the middle of the lineup outside of Anthony Santander has not been good. The bottom of the lineup has been worse. I've seen some comments on Facebook aside for the ones that are calling us idiots, which thank you to our fans. Oh, thank really, you. Really appreciate thank it. You. Uh, is the comments about the guys in AAA who are performing very well. And Norfolk is going to be a very good team win-loss-wise, and I think it's going to be a very good hitting team as well. They're 8-4 and four so far, and they have Kyle Stowers. They have Tyler Nevin. They have Yusniel Diaz. They have Ryland Bannon. All four of those guys have jumped out to good starts. Yusniel Diaz, unfortunately, missing more time with injury, which has unfortunately been the story of his career so far. Uh, Kyle Stowers has not played in every game for them. I believe he's only played in six games, but they're mashing the ball. All four of those guys who are expected to be on the big league roster sooner or later at some point during the 2022 season, there hasn't really been an opening for any of them. We expected some kind of loosening of the log jam in the outfield by this point. They have the four guys after they optioned DJ Stewart. So they have Hayes, Mullins, Santander, and McKenna. Really none of them, with the exception of the aforementioned Santander, is hitting well. But... None of them has gotten injured. There hasn't been an opportunity for a Kyle Stowers who's hitting the cover off the ball in Norfolk to get an opportunity at the big league level. And to me, until an everyday opening starting spot opens up in one of the corner of the outfields, same with Tyler Nevin, I'm not entirely ready to call up a Kyle Stowers and, and have him be your fourth or fifth outfielder. Well, the interesting thing with Stowers is that he is probably too good for AAA at, I mean, not at this point, but I think if we get a few leaks down the line and Kyle Stowers is continuing to hit like this, he's too good for AAA. And even if you don't have an opening for him at the majors, like a clear and present one, I think you've got to figure out ways to either get him starts in the outfield. I mean, you could start him against right-handed pitchers when Austin Hayes is not hitting righties at all. Yeah, they would be His a perfect platoon. horrible. <laughs> they would be a perfect platoon because of righties and lefties. Right. Austin Hayes' split against right-handed pitching is horrendous, and he's only hitting 212 on the season so far, so I think you could realistically platoon him there. I know you don't really want to do that I with Austin yeah. Hayes, but you could find ways to DH Kyle Stowers. But there are other areas on this team right now that are probably going to present more clear and present openings on the major league roster where you have guys at triple a that are ready to go. Well, I mean the catchers. Yeah. Real, real quick. I will yeah. say about the DH though. It's tough when the Orioles have Mancini Mountcastle. I think I've had this conversation and Santander. You need to DH one of those guys because you can't play all three of those guys at the same time. So it is, it, it, you don't have an automatic DH, but I look at it kind of similarly to or you do have an automatic DH. You can't bring somebody up and expect them to DH every now and again. Right. And, not the same situation, but if you want to look at the previous Yankees series of how the Yankees have been handling having Josh Donaldson and, and DJ LeMahieu, LeMahieu can kind of play anywhere in the infield. He can play first, second, third, and you're basically just subbing him in whenever somebody needs an off day. Right. So DJ LeMahieu is a consistent starter based on the fact that he is just subbing in for someone every day. Right. And Kyle Stowers has similar versatility where he can play any outfield position or DH. He hasn't really played center. 
but as you could light. probably stick him there if you wanted to. You probably could, but if you have Mullins available, you're going to put Mullins in center. You are. And the other issue I would have with a Hayes-Stowers platoon is that you have the new left field wall, but even if you didn't, would you really want to be throwing Kyle Stowers out there and left when Austin Hayes is clearly the better defender right now and probably going to be the better defender, period? I mean, we don't know exactly what Stowers' ceiling is, but do you really want to manning a very, now what has become a difficult left field in a di- while having one of your better outfielder outfield defenders on the bench simply because of platoon splits? Specifics aside, I think my point is that Kyle Stowers is good at baseball. Yes. He would be an improvement to this lineup that is really struggling right now. And while the consistent bats at bats may not be as consistent as you want them to be, I think you need to figure out how to get Kyle Stowers into a lineup that is really, really struggling. I get that. Uh, you mentioned the catchers. Yes. There are areas on this team right now where there are prospects at AAA that are going to be called up pretty soon because the major league players are just not getting it done in the way that you want to. Obviously, once Adley Rutschman is back and gets his timing back, Michael Elias has mentioned that he is probably going to be on this team as soon as possible. So Adley Rutschman is going to be a major improvement over the current Orioles platoon of catchers of Robin Cinturinos and Anthony Benboom, who have four total hits in 33 plate appearances which is not very good. You can even look at the infield, where we have seen at AAA Norfolk, Jemai Jones has been really good so far. Ryland Bannon has gotten off to a much better start to the year than he had last year. Chris Owings and Kelvin Gutierrez have combined for two hits in 23 plate appearances, and Ramon Arias is hitting 156 with a 425 OPS. Right. You can start Jemai Jones or Ryland Bannon at this point, I think, pretty comfortably over either of those guys. The... Issue, I think, with Jemai is also defense because he's not there defensively at second. Sure. But we've seen Rugnet Odor does not exactly play the slickest of second base. Rugnet Odor is a quality defensive second baseman, but I don't think the gap between Odor and Jemai Jones defensively at second is so large that it justifies keeping a 200-hitting Rugnet Odor in the lineup. It also doesn't, when we talk about prospects, it's not like you can copy and paste somebody's production from AAA and say he's hitting 312 at AAA, he's going to hit 312 in the majors, and therefore he's better than somebody who's hitting 212 in the majors. It, it's, it's going to be an adjustment. And just because you have tr- success in AAA doesn't automatically guarantee you'll have success in the big leagues. But you have the added upside of the long-term play, right. which the long-term play is Rugnet Odor is not going to be the second baseman of the future. Jermai Jones could be. And, I mean, you can drop that 100 points if you wanted to. Jemai Jones might be hitting, I don't know what the exact number is, but if Jemai Jones is hitting 320 at Norfolk and comes up to the majors and hits 220, that's 20 points better than your starting second baseman right now. But, I mean, there's a chance it's lower than that. There is. He, he did not hit well at all last season in the big leagues, and you have the added factor of defense. I mean, and you have the fact that he, he could be struggling in the field, and that could take away from his offense at the plate because it's distracting or it's taking away from that. So, And again, it's a small sample size, but would you rather have a Chris Owings who is struggling as a veteran, Kelvin Gutierrez who is a struggling veteran, Rugnet Odor who is a struggling I mean, veteran? Kelvin Gutierrez is 27, so... I wouldn't more help. veteran than a 24-year-old Jemai Jones. Certainly more veteran, yeah. I would rather have a Jemai Jones who is more of a long-term play get those reps than a struggling veteran, at least like a Chris Owens. I think there's more of a case in my mind to be made for Bannon, for Ryland Bannon at this point, because Bannon's older. He can play third, which Jemai cannot, 
and clearly the Orioles have a need there. We saw Ramon Arias last night. Ramon Arias is going to be solid at the plate, but defensively, he's not suited for third base, and that's why he much makes much more sense as second and shortstop when you need him. But his his arm is not equipped to play third. He's It's not his natural position. That's why, in my mind, I would be more comfortable with Bannon, who has played third and who is older than Jemai Jones, and the defensive question marks are not there like they are for Jemai Jones. Right. So I would I would call up Bannon much before I would call up Jemai Jones. I wouldn't say much before, but I think Ryland Bannon, again, makes sense because of the positional versatility. He can play second or third, and he's probably a better defensive third baseman at this point than Ramon Arias is. I know Calvin Gutierrez is pretty good at the hot corner, but Ryland Bannon, I think, would make more sense as a third baseman than Ramon Arias does, and you can have Arias and Odor just platoon at second if you're not going to call up Jemai Jones right away. I wonder what is going to be the catalyst for these moves getting made because there's going to be something. We're going to start seeing these guys soon. We know that they have promised, Michael Eyes has promised that this is the year we're going to start seeing these guys. How much do they need to see the veterans struggle? How much do they need to see the win-loss record change? How much do they need to see from the guys at AAA before they make these calls? Yeah, I think... I, we don't know. We don't know. We have not seen them really promote that many guys so far. I think Adley Rutschman probably gets the first call. I don't know just yet because we're now five, six weeks since his injury, and he hasn't yet to play in any game action. But it sounds like he is at least getting closer, and I don't think he is going to take more than a week of games. I think there's a chance he does. And even if he takes a week of games, I think there's a chance somebody gets called up before that. Maybe. Maybe a Kyle Bradish, maybe a Ryland and, Bannon. And I think we're assuming that Adley is starting back in AAA. They may start him back in AA just to get his timing back. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's a closer drive to Baltimore. True. It's what they're doing with DL Hall. You know, they're working him back up. They know he's a better pitcher than a double A level, but he's on a rehab assignment. So. As with any rehab assignment, John Means pitched in Aberdeen. You know, it's it's working your way back up and getting your body right before it's you It's a timing back. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a timing thing. Um, all right. We talked a lot. We did. Did we go over an hour? Perhaps. Maybe. There's a lot to talk about. Let's see. Let's see what the good old YouTube We don't need time to add more says. time by, by discussing 53 how much time. minutes. Oh, okay. Not bad. Didn't hit the hour. Thanks for everybody for commenting along. Uh, even the ones who called us idiots, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, we you even add had some fuel to our fire. We we had some people, uh, you know, defending us as well. So this is bulletin board material. I'm gonna print out that comment. We do have a bulletin board it on the bulletin board. It's going right there. The haters will be our fun. That we should go fun. through all of the mean comments that we've had. So long as they're a PG, right? Print them out. Put them on the bulletin board. That seems like a if fun we project. acknowledge that we are bad, maybe we can find common ground with our haters. Maybe, you know, we join. We have more in common. We also know that we're bad. It's like the John Mulaney thing. I know I'm terrible at driving. I also know this. Right. I wish I wasn't this terrible, but here we are. But here we are. Here we are. Thanks to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast. We will be back at some point next week. At Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. What is going to be Brendan's next banger of a tweet? Come find out. Come find out and follow at Mass and Orioles where we have our better content, honestly. Uh, we save the good tweets for at Mass and Orioles and the bad tweets for our personal accounts, but still follow us anyway. At Paul Mancano is my Twitter account. You can listen to this, the podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, you can watch every week and call us an idiot in the comments on Facebook and on YouTube. Thank you so much for tuning in and tune in to this week's slate of games as the Orioles continue their road trip out west. We'll catch you next time.